Whoever owns those little children there, those little ones right here, they are adorable. You moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, you are blessed. We are blessed as a church to have many little ones. Again, just a reminder, we hope to see everyone tonight. Thank you so much, Tim and Aaron, for your hospitality on your farm to open up to your church family. So we look forward to a wonderful time this evening. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them and turn with me. We're going to be in several different texts today, but I want us to begin in James chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, James chapter 1. We have been spending the entire month of June on one subject, what we talk about being gathered together after a long season of kind of being separated and relegated to different corners. We've talked about the importance of us gathering together and why corporate worship matters. Today we're going to stay on that theme in a sense of being together, but we're going to broaden it a little bit. We're going to stay here for the next several weeks, believe it or not. We're going to look at the subject of giving together. Why corporate stewardship matters, a very important part of who we are as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and committed members to the local church of Jesus Christ. You know, I have noticed something, I have to be perfectly honest, there's a lot more distractions when we're outside. Have you picked up on that? And I've, I've noticed is what you're doing really, really well. Some of this is on me as well. Our attention span outside is not as good as when we're inside. Have you anyone picked up on that? I was reading just this week. There's a fine line that is drawn between that that is between a long drawn out sermon, a fine line between a long drawn out sermon and a hostage situation. <laughs> and I kind of thought about that at some level. You guys are kind of st- duck here like it's hard to like sneak away and so i want to be as respectful as possible but for these few moments i'll tell you what we got some work to do we gather together to worship but we gather together to listen to the preaching of the word of god the means of ordinary grace of common grace to be given to us through what the holy spirit has for us and so if i work on my part to kind of not be long and drawn out We'll listen and learn together, and hopefully the Lord will be pleased with our efforts. Would you bow your heads and pray with me before we look into the Word of God? Let's pray. Father, we again are just so grateful. We're just looking around at your creation. As the clouds were moving back this morning and the sun was coming out, as the sky is a brilliant blue, And the hills and the trees and the fields are just glowing in greenery. Lord, it's just a gift that you have given to us. And we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that you care about the little things and the details. Father, we also know that you've blessed us in amazing ways, that you've allowed us to to put many blessings in our hand and to hold them. But I would pray, Lord, that together we would... We would listen this morning and learn about the importance of who you are and what we're supposed to do with all the things that you've blessed us with. Father, I think right now of our dear brother and the Lord John Ketches, who is in hospital, and we know, Lord, that we've been praying for him and 
particularly these last couple days, and we just ask for continued strength and healing. Pray, Lord, for peace for Diane and the rest of the family. Father, we thank you that you look after us and look over us, just as we saw, reminded the little ones, that you're our shepherd who protects us. Father, we just pray that we would be faithful in lifting one another up in prayer. May you please help me this morning to speak in a way that is glorifying to you. Bless us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you've probably heard me say this, I think, over the last couple of times. We look around us, and, and this is not our home, right? We're kind of moving through. We're moving from here on to our home. In the same way, if you look around you, everything that exists around us is not ours either. This is not our home, and everything that you see is not ours. It does not belong to us. And this is a really, really hard concept to understand, especially since we live in what I call a, a material-minded, stuff-matters world. In our world, there's a lot of talk about stuff. In many people's minds, stuff matters. However, we know that we are a church that holds to a very high view of Scripture. This is the Word of God. This is our authority. And if this is our authority, we have to listen to what it says. You opened up to James chapter 1. It says this in verse 17, every good gift, and it's repeated, every perfect gift, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. It comes down to us from the Father of lights. This is one of the apostles who wrote these words. After spending a long time with Jesus, another apostle, Peter, wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 4. As each one of us has been given a gift, we're to use the gift that God has given to us to serve one another as good stewards. There's that word of God's varied grace. A steward is simply defined as one who manages another's financial affairs or property so if everything that exists around us is not ours then just just think for a moment begin with like the immediate just think about your own body for a moment your hands you can do this your toes your mouth your nose that does not belong to you Again, a hard concept, which means what? Kind of expand outside of ourself, our family. Your son, your daughter, your grandson, your granddaughter does not belong. They do not belong to you. Your house, your hard-earned home with everything in it, the refrigerator, oh, fields, does not belong to you. Your washer, your dryer, your stove, that's not yours. Think of it like this, the money that's in that little pink piggy bank or the money that you hold in your investments, in your bank accounts, that's not really yours according to what we see in Scripture. You've been given just like me, what, 24 hours a day. Every hour of every day, our time does not belong to us. It actually belongs to the Lord. The talents and gifts that God has given to you, everything comes down from above, it's a gift, and what? You and I are simple stewards. 
Therefore, we are blessed with a responsibility, a very high and a heavy responsibility, to manage what God has given to us on loan. We could actually simplify it by saying what? Stewardship is really an ownership issue. And that's where we're going to spend some time over these next several weeks. Stewardship is an ownership issue. Little Jack was sitting in church with his mommy when the offering plate was being passed. And remember years ago, before we used to pass an offering plate. We don't do that any longer. There's a plate up here. And as the plate came in front of Jack, he had, he had some money in his hand. And as the plate came, he like couldn't let go of it. He couldn't let go of it. That's how we feel sometimes. His mommy looked at Jack and said, drop it. It's tainted. And he was terrified. He dropped it in the plate. And as the plate went by, he said, mommy, it's tainted. What does that mean? You mean it's like, like that's dirty? What does it mean it's tainted? She says, Jack, it ain't yours and it ain't mine either. It all belongs to the Lord. The subject of stewardship, specifically what I'm concerned about, is biblical stewardship is of utmost importance, not only because of where we are right now, but because of where we are going as followers of Jesus. We raise our hand very quickly to say, I'm a Christian. I'm one like Christ. I live like Christ. It means that we understand that we are sinners. We've spent a lot of time this year in the book of Romans, and it has been made very clear to us that we're sinners in need of a Savior to forgive us and cleanse us from unrighteousness. Talk about the fact that we have to accept Jesus as our Savior, but we also, what, offer our life to Him as Lord, which means that we have to offer ourselves to surrender to submit to him to his will over our will to trust him over ourselves so what does this mean two points i want to give to you this morning the first one is very simple believe it or not like it or not you can argue with it all you want number one our spiritual life is connected to our financial life believe it or not like it or not, our spiritual life is connected to our financial life. A fundamental linking, a joining together exists between what you think about God and what you think about money. You may try to separate the two, but the Bible really teaches them in many ways as inseparable. This is hard to get, but there are more than 2,000 plus verses, to be specific or to be precise, 2,350 verses. 2,350 verses in the Bible speak about money and possessions. You realize that's more than, than the verses, the number of verses that speak on the subject of prayer? More than the number of verses that speak on the subject of heaven? More than the number of verses that speak on the subject of hell. God's word has much to say. It's important about how we handle. It affects our relationship with him. Now, we could go through, what, 2,000 of them, but we're not going to this morning. But if I were to very briefly break it into two categories, there's positive examples here. There's good examples that God gives to us to learn from about what? Money and possessions. In Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist is preaching. And he's preaching repentance 
for the forgiveness of sins. In Luke chapter 3, verse 3. And he also talks about, later on in verse 8, how we are to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. This is what it looks like to repent. And, and as John the Baptist was preaching, there were large numbers of people that were in front of him. And there's different groups. We could almost say categories of people. Now, the, the crowds asked, what do we do? Like, how do we show these fruits of repentance? And John the Baptist's answer was very interesting. He says this, whoever has two tunics, it's just a word we don't use a lot today. You have a nice tunic on today. That just doesn't make sense. Basically, it says whoever has two shirts, share with him who has none. Whoever has food, do the same, which means what? How do you show your fruit of repentance to God? John the Baptist says, I want you to share with what you have. There's another group of people, and they're tax collectors, and they were looked down upon, and they asked, well, what are we supposed to do? And John the Baptist says, collect no more than what you're authorized or what you're allowed to collect. Don't collect a dime more, which is totally foreign from the life of a tax collector. Another group of people, there were soldiers that were there, Roman soldiers. They asked the question, what do we do? And, and John the Baptist says, don't extort money from anyone by threats which they were using their muscles and their might and their sword to intimidate, to get what more from people. And what John the Baptist also says, I want you to be content with your wages. Soldiers didn't make a lot of money back then. What's interesting is that all different groups of people, the, the specific answer is relating to, to, to stuff, to money, to possessions. And no one asked John specifically about the money or the possessions, they basically asked him, what are we supposed to do to show fruit of righteousness? And John says, this is how you demonstrate your faith. It's the fruit of spiritual transformation when your wallet in, in many ways connects to your heart. Another example, it's very positive, is in Luke chapter 19. A little guy. Remember in Sunday school, we talked about a wee little man. His name was Zacchaeus. He wants to respond to the message of salvation. And the first thing that he says, the first response that the wee little man Zacchaeus, remember he climbed up into the sycamore tree? The first thing that he says is what? Lord, half of my goods I'm going to give to the poor. And anyone else I've cheated, I will pay back four times the amount. What was Jesus' response? Today, salvation has come to this house. People, you have to understand at some level, your approach to money is central to your spiritual life. Jesus began the early portion on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7. What does Jesus begin? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be also. So there's some kind of a connection. We've got to give attention to it. There's positive examples of people who said, here, just take it. But you know, there's also negative examples on this whole subject of our spiritual life connected to our financial life. Another one is found in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 12. He's telling the story of a very wealthy farmer who spent all of his what money on himself. And he became so successful, he became so rich, it says that he actually tore down his, his barns. 
good barns. And he tore them down to build bigger ones, to hold and to hoard everything for himself. Jesus says this in verse 20, You fool. You fool. This night your soul will be required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus is teaching in a sense what? There's going to become a moment for every single one of us when our heart stops beating. Our lungs stop filling with air and life as we know it here on this earth ends. I think you would agree with me that I've done many, many funerals. I've yet to see a hearse going to the cemetery with a U-Haul behind it. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't make any sense at all. Another negative example is in Matthew chapter 19, where a rich young ruler, he's called, comes to Jesus, and he wants to know, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said one thing. He said, I want you to sell your possessions. I want you to give it to the poor people. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. And then he says, then you can come and follow me. Why does Jesus make this statement? Because he knew that this rich young ruler had a lot of money and a lot of possessions, and he knew that this this man's God was money, was stuff. And we know the story. We know how this story ends. It is known as one of the most tragic and sad stories in all of Scripture. He simply could not do it. And he walks away to say, I'd rather hold on to my riches in the here and the now than follow you for all of eternity. He rejected God and he walked away from real treasure. We've got to understand and we see this, that your spiritual life is connected to your financial life. Now there is a massive, very profitable business that exists in our world today. Financial planning, where experts will teach you how to invest your money. And they will always say something like this. When it comes to your money, don't just think about the next three months ahead. Don't just think about the next three years ahead. A wise financial investor will tell you what, think about the next 30 years. That's where you begin to plan. Now, we know that God is the ultimate investment counselor and he takes it a step further and he says don't you think about your money for the next 30 years he says it's not going to do you any good god says in a sense think about your money over the next 300 years or 3,000 years or what three million years god the ultimate investment counselor says don't just think about what's happening in front of you Now, why does he say that? The reason number two is this, is because our eternal state is far, far more important than our temporal state. In the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 6, it says this, Do not lay up for yourselves. Do not. This is not like multiple choice, option. It's a command. It's an imperative. Do not. Lay up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Listen to verse 21. Excuse me. Jesus concludes his statement with what? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Think of this for a moment. If someone were to come up to you and say, here's $1,000, you can have this today. You can take this $1,000, you can spend it however you want. I think most of us would say, hey, that's kind of cool. We'll take that. But if the same person said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you $1,000 today. You can spend it however you want. Or July the 4th, 2022, one year from today, I will give you $1 million. What would you, what, what would you do? $1,000 today or $1 million a year from now? In all honesty, only, only a fool, a foolish person would say, I'm going to have a great meal. We're going to go out for ice cream today with this little bit. Right? A wise person would say, no, a million dollars a year from now. Yet that is exactly what we do. People, in a sense, grab the the little bit that they can have today, the here and the now. But it's only going to last a moment for going something that they could enjoy literally for eternity, for much, much longer. And that's why this subject is important. We've got to learn more about heavenly treasures than earthly treasures. We've actually got to strive toward eternal investment over temporal investments. How do we do that? Really, one lesson for today we want to kind of hold on to. A gentleman by the name of Randy Alcorn wrote a book a number of years ago called The Treasure Principle. He wrote another one um, called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. And, and Mr. Alcorn has a desire to teach pastors who ultimately are teaching churches how to handle their money, their possessions, and eternity. And he desires to teach biblical principles about this. Now think of where we are as a local church right now, where we have what a commitment to one another, and we've made a commitment to be obedient to the Lord and fulfilling the mission that he has called us to. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love, love God and love one another. God has committed us to a vision to build relationships intentionally so that God is glorified and lives are transformed through the gospel. We as a local church have what? We have a commitment to missionaries who are serving the Lord all over the world, global missions, local missions right here in our own community. We have a commitment to what? To to the general budget of a church. We have a commitment in a sense of understanding. There's needs, just simple building needs around us that are important for us. It's appropriate for us to learn one statement that Alcorn continually kind of hammers on. And the first one is this. Stewardship, as far as what is it, is simply understanding that God owns everything everything and i'm his money manager 
You realize that? That's the first thing we've got to kind of nail down here. God owns everything, and I am just his manager, his steward. I love how the psalmist says it like this in Psalm chapter 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it and all who live in it. Haggai chapter 2 verse 8. The Lord says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. We know in Deuteronomy chapter 8, remember the Lord your God, it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. First Corinthians, Paul was writing in chapter 6, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are his. Which means what? God designed this. God created this. God sustains this. Therefore, what? God owns this. And a lot of people are like, wait a minute. I work hard for it. I earned this. I went to school to, to learn this. And I, and I owe school, college debt. Like, no, I did this. And the truth is a matter of who, who gave you the ability to think. Who gave you the ability to, to write or to speak? Who gave you the ability to see the work that is in front of you? The Lord did all of those things. Job speaks of this repeatedly in Job chapter 38. Where were you when I set the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know this. Repeatedly over and over and over again. It basically translates that what? The sun in the sky. The Lord designed it, created it, sustains it, and owns it. The moon at night, the stars, the continents, the seas, the mountains, the streams and the lakes and the rivers and the oceans, the, the street, the street lights, the money in your wallet belongs to the Lord. Your wallet that's in, in your pants, those pants belong to the Lord. The, the pants that get washed in the washing machine at your house, that washing machine belongs to the Lord. The washing machine that sits in the laundry room, that's the Lord's laundry room. The laundry room that's like that scary cobweb place in your house, your house belongs. It all belongs to the Lord. Take a walk through your garage. You got junk hanging on the walls. There's so much. Your toys and your tools, it all belongs to the Lord. Your pickup truck, your bicycles, your kayaks, the food in your refrigerator, your body, your children, your gifts, your talents, your, your abilities, the little heirloom that grandma gave you before she passed away, that belongs to the Lord. The iPhone, smartphone in your pockets, that's not yours. It all belongs to God. And you are simply responsible to manage it, to steward, basically to hold on to it lightly and pass it on. Our little grandsons are visiting. And it's a big event on Thursday when the garbage truck comes. You see the garbage truck and whoa, there's the garbage truck. It's a big event every morning when the mailman comes to. Life kind of stops as faces press against the window. There's the mailman. He's delivering stuff to our house. 
think for a moment, what is a male man or a male woman, a male person, I don't know, whoever is driving, what do they do? They drive a truck and they deliver your mail. They deliver your stuff to your house. A lot of junk mail, I understand, but there's some important things in there once in a while. So Mr. Mailman is responsible to hold on to, to handle your possessions, to keep watch over them, to manage them, to protect them while they're in his care. But he does not own anything that's in his truck. How, how weird would it be for you to, in a sense, give the mailman a package to deliver it, and he, he takes it home, and he, he opens it up. And you're like, hey, hey, buddy, it's not yours. What if Mr. Mailman says, yeah, but why'd you give it to me? You shouldn't have given it to me if you don't want me to open it. And you're like, hey, Mr. Mailman, you're missing the point here. It's not yours. Okay, there's another person's name on that. You just deliver the stuff. Think of how weird it would be for us, in a sense, to what hold on to something with somebody else's name on it. We're to do exactly the same thing as the mailman. We are God's delivery system. That's what stewardship is. It's about handling someone else's possessions. Think of it like this. The name... Our name is on God's account, and we have unrestricted access to God's account. It says what? Who owns the cattle on a thousand hill, the wealth in every mind. Sadly, that privilege, where our name is on the Lord's account, that, that privilege is often abused by people, by many people. And that's why it says what? It is required of stewards that we are to be found faithful. Therefore, what happens is that God trusts us to draw out what we need from his account, needed funds for our home. God trusts us to draw out what we need to eat, what we need for clothes to dress us, what we need to, to live on. But he also reminds us what? We're not to hoard it. We're not to hold on to it. We're certainly not to waste it. We're certainly not to spend it in excess. After all, it's God's. He has something to say with what belongs to him. And somehow, somewhere along the line, people get really messed up with this misunderstanding. And the immediate consequence of mishandling God's stuff is what? Is what we see happening all around us today where people today have less joy than they've ever had before, and yet we have more, what, in our possession. What happens today? There's more people under stress and worry and anxiety. The number one reason that couples, mommy and daddy, argue and fight oftentimes is over financial matters. Why? Because there's a mishandling of what God has given to us. Whereas you can walk into another home and know that what? Joy exists here. Joy abides here. Because people are living with an understanding that what? This is not mine. I'm just a money manager for that which belongs to the Lord. I have traveled as many of you have to, to other countries. Guatemala and Haiti and India. People 
what they don't have as much as we have here in America. And what I've always been struck with is when I've traveled to someplace like that, they are so anxious and eager and willing to give. Here, have this. Have this. Please take this. And there's a sense of joy. They have so little. And the little bit that they have, they just want to offer it. I've visited many of your homes and been blessed with great meals. Thank you for that. But I've had no greater meals in my entire life than when I've been on mission trips. Because people, what? They just offer everything that they have. And you savor it and enjoy it. It's such a joy although they have so little. And yet what happens in America? We think that what we have is ours and we hold on to it as if it is ours. And that's wrong. God owns it all. Where is money manager? There's a great, great example. I'll leave you with this in closing. This is not a hostage situation. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, describing a small group of churches that did not have a whole lot. Matter of fact, he actually describes it that they were in a severe test of affliction. A severe test of affliction. And then he says what? There was an abundance of joy and in their extreme poverty, they overflowed with the wealth of generosity. It almost doesn't make any sense. How do you combine words like severe test and extreme poverty with abundance of joy? It's like in our world, we're like, how, like, how does that even match? Let me tell you, the more you give, the more you delight in giving. And that's what that group of churches in Macedonia talks about. They didn't have a whole lot, but they passed it on, and they passed it on, and they passed it on, and there was great blessing. God delights. God delights. It says in the very next chapter that the Lord, uh, what, loves. He loves a cheerful giver. I have oftentimes, and I will say it again, Remind you, if you have ever given anything to this church, even today, what? You're just holding on to it. And you don't give it cheerfully and, and give it willingly. Then, then see me, see our treasure, we'll get it back to you. God doesn't want you to give with that sense. He wants you to give it cheerfully. I get to do this because this is sending it on ahead. Realize that our giving pleases not just ourselves in a sense of joy that the Holy Spirit births with inside of us, but our giving pleases others. And most importantly, what? It pleases God. It jumpstarts our relationship with Him. It opens up our fist so we can, what? Receive the blessings that God has in store for us. Alcorn says, don't renounce your treasures, but relocate them. There was an example in the book of, of Exodus where they were gathering together and they were taking offerings for the, for the tabernacle, for the temple to be built. Think about this. They, they were in many ways, what, had very little. And it says in Scripture that they actually had to be restrained from giving. Don't give any more. Don't give any more. Because people were so anxious to do that. Why? Because they understood how important it was to have the presence of God in their midst. 
We have the greatest, and I know that we live in a wonderful country. We are blessed with what? Independence and freedom. But we have to be reminded today more than any other day, we've been blessed with what? The forgiveness of our sins. We've been free from sin and from death because God has blessed us that way. Oh my, oh my, oh my. How do we give back to the blessing knowing that God in his holiness his splendor and his wonder desires to have a relationship with us, fallen, feeble sinners, and we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where joy exists. That's when we lift up our voices in praise to the Lord, thanking him for the privilege that we have of simply being a steward of the blessings that he's given to us. May we be reminded what? Not only gathering together, but giving together is what God desires for us. Let's bow our heads and close in a word of prayer. Father, we are so thankful for your grace. You, you lavish upon us mercy that are new, mercies that are new every single day. We thank you, Lord, for this reminder. And it's a hard subject, I understand. And it's a subject that we oftentimes don't even want to address, but we need to because it's in your word. We thank you for the authority of Scripture. We thank you, Lord, for the way you have blessed us. But, Lord, I would pray right now that the Holy Spirit would work in hearts to comfort them, to convict all of us so that we understand that we are, we are here but for our moments, that our life is but a mist, that we would be found faithful, faithful stewards of all which belongs to you. Thank you most of all for offering your son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we can trust him as our Savior and submit and surrender to him as Lord. Bless us now. In your name we pray. Amen.